Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where did you come from? I'm Monique and I'm from Cromwell. Monique, tell me what it was like for you growing up in uh, Crumlin. And when I say for you, I mean for you because you're transgender. So, you know, growing up in Crumlin, you know, could be pretty hard, you know, um, being a queer kid, you know, and not knowing, you know, that you, what queer is or transgender is, you know, no education or anything, you know, in the 80s. Um, I would have, you know, found it difficult, you know, uh, you know, because I was expressing femininity from such a young age uh, and, you uh, I would like you know walk around with a tea cloth on my head and I was obsessed with Barbies and My Little Pony and you know my whole demeanour would have been feminine you know so you know growing up in Crumlin the kids used to just like slag me and um, you know I wasn't getting a good response I was constantly getting a negative response you know so you know I, as a child like um, I when I kept on getting this response like you know I started to feel a little bit shameful and embarrassed about myself you know and it was just so that's what it was kind of like you know from you know from a young age at what age did you start to feel shameful um do you know do you know what I think I always felt embarrassed you know about it you know like because I would hide the dolls and stuff like that and at home and um then um, there was more levels of shame, you know, like, so at the start, you know, it wouldn't have been too, you know, too bad. It was just, I would still do it, but I would hide the dolls and stuff like that. I'd kind of do it in secret, you know. Um, but then as I was getting older, you know, and I wanted to fit in more, um, then I start, you know, getting more shameful and kind of uncomfortable with myself you know with my kind of natural self like because mm. amy when she was saying that i am um, amy the hippie hunt she did one with me yeah and she was saying that like she started to put makeup on and started oh. to dress feminine oh. you know even though she knew yeah. that she was gay mm. she was like just doing that to try and fit in with people yeah so is that what you were doing um i started i started doing that you know um i started masculine myself you know to fit in more um and you know like the way I walked the way I spoke you know, I had like long hair um in kind of in the middle split 
and you know some people would think you know that I was a girl back then and, and it, the shame I used to feel inside you know because I just used to know the response I was getting with that you know totally like slagged and kind of picked on and um, so you know I, I did start trying to change myself you know I remember at 16 um I left school at 15 I went to an all boys school and uh it was um you know pretty hard in that school like the teachers didn't know what to do with me and stuff like that and um so I start working in Peter Marks and when I in the hairdressers and when I now my mom would have you know kind of influenced me to be a hairdresser because I loved hair I was always kind of playing with hair and stuff like that like I love playing with her hair I love playing with the Barbie's hair so um I went to work in there and uh, I remember it was my 16th birthday and um you know some girl passed a comment saying that I was a girl and uh, the shame I felt felt because of that I went in and cut all my hair off they wouldn't cut my hair so I got a scissors and cut all the hair off and I think that was kind of then the turning point with me where I had enough of me femininity you know I had enough of people passing comment on me you know um and uh, I really wanted to change myself then change yourself into what into more of a, you know, um, kind of a more manly, you know, like, um, you know, like growing up in Crumlin as well, like, you know, you kind of had to be hard, you know, um, there was a lot of toxic, toxic masculinity, you know, um, and uh, I would have had, like, you know, so I wanted to be that, you know, to fit in, you know, in, in the area, you know, because I wanted to be liked, you know, mm. and I was always, you know, wanted to be in the group that was the most <laughs> maddest or the most roughest. Mm. So I would be going out, like, trying to prove myself, you know, mm. to get into this group, you mm. know, that, that I was just as mad and I was just as tough. And Doing things like what? Like, I would physically get into fights, mm. you know, mm. like, uh, I would get into fights and... Um, I walked around with this, like, you know, <laughs> I walked around with this huge chip on my shoulder, you mm. know, and it used to attract attention. When I think about it now, I was looking for, you know, like to say attention to stuff. <laughs> yeah. I used to actually attract it because I'd walk around with this attitude, you know, you know and uh, I, uh, so it used to kind of bring like trouble to me, you know, I was like a magnet who I couldn't go anywhere, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, people would, you know, be passing comments and then I would be standing up for myself and I wouldn't let it go and you know, all this. So I'd f- physically get into fights, you know, and stuff like that. And what, like, would your mom say? Would she, like, want to kill you when you got you at home? Um, she would get me to stand up for myself, mm. you know. Um, she would kind of try and support me, you know, but she would get me to stand up for myself. And in school, like, did you have friends then through those groups? or? I did have friends, but in school, you know, I left school when I was 15 and... Um, in school was very difficult because I went to an all boys school and I would have got bullied in school, but I would have still stood up to the bullies. Um, and, but I couldn't concentrate in school, you know, like I didn't do well whatsoever in school. 
I was constantly get, getting into trouble. You know, I remember I just used to stare out the window and um, be like, nothing would go in. The teacher would be teaching. And the teacher just left me to my own advices. You know, they didn't try to intervene with me. And, um, you know, because I start acting out, you know, like, and, uh, and I think I was acting out to kind of protect myself. It was like, it was all part of survival, really, for me. Because mm. I was trying to be, you know, like the the hardest of the class, like, you know, um, so people would just back off and, and to prove myself as well, you know, that I wasn't, you know, because back then, like, you know, being feminine or, you know, being part of the, you know, the queer kids, like, people thought you were weak, you know, mm. and people thought that you were an easy target that they could, you know, they could um, jump on you and, you know, like, they could uh, bully you and stuff like that, like, so it was kind of, me trying to kind of stand up for myself so like kind of skill work and everything kind of went out the window it was just all about that then you know were you um, always on edge uh, I was very removed from myself I okay. wasn't on edge uh, when I think about it now like you know I became very disconnected with myself and that's why I used to stare out the window you know because I think I just used to be kind of daydreaming and you know kind of that kind of thing and then when you left school, you went into Peter Mark, as you said. I went into Peter Mark, yeah. And, um, and like, you know, I was really going through puberty then, you know. So it was a really hard time, like, you know. And uh, I kind of kind of started taking, you know, drugs then, you know. Um, so when I went into Peter Mark, the response again I got, you know, from, you know, from the area and stuff like that was totally, you know, a negative response so I ended up leaving Peter Marks and um, that time that I cut all my hair off, I left shortly afterwards. I think I worked there for three months and that was it. And um, because, you know, like I had, you know, I remember like there was hairdressers there and you were like, if, if you ever need anybody to talk to, you know, they, they thought I was gay, you know, and they were trying to uh bring me out but I was so uncomfortable, you know, with that, like, you know, like I would be disgusted if somebody said something like that to me like you know and you know the shame was there and um I just would be like completely devastated like you know if you said so when a stylist said that to me you know I just was it like a, a sharp exit you know that was it you know and um I think I worked in a barber's den uh for a little while and didn't you know didn't like that I think I worked in a factory and then I didn't work for years then it's mad that you, it's, I, it's, I just say it's mad, but it's not mad, I know that, mm. um, that you said that, like, you discussed and, and that someone said that to you, mm. and, because is that what, what's, what's happening in you? Because I was, felt disgusted myself, you know, because there was just this huge shame, and, you know, like, you know, like, I would have grown up in the 80s and the 90s, like, this would have been the 90s, you know, so, but it was only legal to be gay in 1993, mm. so, you know, the, like, Dublin, Ireland was extremely homophobic, mm. you know, like, and we didn't even know what transgender was, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so um, it was just, you know, that what I was told about, you know, gay people, like, you know, that they were freaks, you know, there was this, it was all, so this was all being fed to me. You know, and then when I got, was going through puberty and I realised, like, I was attracted to men, 
I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is actually happening to me. Um, and, you know, all, all the, like, you know, I'm, I'm actually what they're saying I'm going to be. And I was in denial about it. And I was, you know, for most of my life, I was very good at disconnecting with myself you know, pushing everything down, like, you know, mm. and that's what I done, you know, like it was a, it was kind of a coping mechanism, you know, and um, a way of survival, like, you know, through all that, like, you know. Because usually in those situations when someone gives you like a, co- a comforting ear or something or support and is like, I want, I'll help you. That's when a person kind of like decides, okay, you know, I'm comfortable here. I'm safe yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so I am going to ask you for support to yeah. help me come out as such do you know what I mean so I wasn't ready okay I wasn't ready for that you know I just wasn't ready to deal with that you know to which to I was still trying to be as masculine as I can you know and I was still trying to be like the way I don't the only reason why I worked in that hairdressers was because my mum was saying like straight man walking there and you know like um, mm. she was making it okay for me mm. you know mm. uh, and that's what influenced me to go in even though I love hairdressing mm. now mm. you know but that's what influenced me to go in so I was still trying to be the hard man and live up to those you know um those like kind of standards of what like toxic masculinity standards like mm. that what was going on like you know and like to behave in a certain way you know so what was the years following like then for you the years following for me were you know <laughs> do I like do I good and bad you know um I was using drugs a lot you know I started smoking heroin at 15 okay. and um like I would have been drinking from 12 you know um and um, and that was another, you know, like I was like from 12, like 30 and 14, I was blowing gas and, you know, I was just doing everything. Like I remember even in when I was working in Peter Mark, like I used to be blown, blown the, you know, the um, air freshener, you know, in a towel yeah. and stuff yeah. like, you know, yeah. so I was all this kind of, you know, kind of like delinquency, like, you know, madness mm. was kind of going on with me, you know, and um, so... As time was going on, like, you know, I started using heroin at 15 and I was just, well, that was another way of me, like, you know, look at me, like, you know, because you know, kind of back then you'd be put on a pedestal or like, look at, you know, it was Michael at the time, mm-hmm. he's mad and, you know, and people would kind of respect that. And that was, that was, that was going on in my crazy head, like, you know, even though the harm I was causing myself, um... So it just kind of, you know, escalated from there. I would have gone on to the party scene. And then I did come out as a gay, you know, man at um, 18. And uh, I was, the reason why I came out was because I had such an attraction to men. Mm. You know, and I still didn't know what transgender was. Like there was no, you know, anyone to represent transgender people on television. There was nothing on the media. You know, anything that was on the media about transgender people was like, you know, Buffalo Bill out Silence of the Lambs and he wasn't even transgender, like he was a psycho, like, you know. But this is, you know, like or Mm. some kind of, you know, sitcom like where they're slagging off transgender people, like, you know, so it was there was no kind of you know we weren't learning anything and um so I just thought like I was gay so I put that all those feelings down you know me wanting to be a girl when I was younger 
I must have been gay, like, and, you know, and that's how I kind of made sense of it. Okay. Um, but I was, you know, when I was going into, you know, taking a lot of drugs, like, um, I was becoming more disconnected with myself, you know, and, um, and like back then, like, there was like, it was just, there was no kind of boundaries with me. I was up for anything, you know, and uh, I didn't care about myself, you know, like I kind of, you know, there was definitely, I hated myself, like, um, and I didn't care what happened, you know, and I kind of, that's the way I kind of, I was very reckless, you mm. know, and I went on like that for years. Self-destructive. Very self-destructive, you know. And then I got onto the club scene as well, and, um, you know, I had good times in that, you know, mm. but I was, um, I just done it to excess, you know, and uh, towards the end, you know, I was taking seizures from, you know, sitting up too long and um, I ended up in a treatment centre. My mum had to get me into a treatment centre um, and that was at 20. And uh, I went in and done um, six weeks in, in the Rutland centre. Wow. But I took, you know, it was... Like, I was very kind of strong-minded, you know, and, like, I wouldn't listen to anybody, you know. And I didn't think I had a problem. I didn't think I was doing anything. But how my mom got me into that treatment centre was was because I was start suffering bad with panic attacks. Mm-hmm. It was, like, because I was suppressing everything for years and it just then started coming out of me, like, you know, but it was coming out of me in anxiety and panic attacks. And um, I wasn't able to cope anymore. And she was saying, you know, I'm just going to use my name. You know, Monique, you have mm. a problem, mm. you know. Um, and, you know, it's the drugs and and stuff like that. Like, And even though I was ending up in hospital, each which from drugs, mm. like, you know, from a seizure or, or something else, like, and I didn't think I had a problem, like, you know, and... Uh, but, like, because I was in such, you know, because I was sort of so full of fear and anxiety, you know, I listened to her and um, I went into the treatment centre. Because that's what I was going to ask. How does a 15-year-old end up smoking heroin? How do you find yourself in that situation? It was all looking for approval. It was all looking for me to fit in, you know, and it was... It, it was um, it was just to, to, to take everything to the extreme, to distract from who I really was like. And was that around you in your community? Yeah, that yeah. was around me in the community. Because I grew up in the 80s as well. Like, mm. um, yeah, so like I'm 42 this year. Mm. Um, so I grew up then and so I know what was yeah. around then and heroin yeah. was a huge problem when yeah. we were growing up. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, so I get it. But like for you to then go on and do that and then mm. for your mom then to say, you have a problem so all you listened to her because you wanted to really listen to her don't yeah I listened to her because I listened to her at that stage because I was sick of it you know like I was after doing like you know like I was drinking from 12 you know I was always in trouble in school you know I was always I worked in Peter Mark for a little while had a few little jobs here and there but then for years I didn't work you know and I was constantly out partying you know like I'd be you know drinking to excess taking cocaine taking ecstasy smoking heroin to come down off it you know and my life was just full of madness and it was all great at the start it was great when the drugs were working Mm -hmm. you know but then the drugs stopped working 
you know, to what, like, before, but when I was 20, you know, and I was taking seizures and, you know, suffering bad with my mental health, you know, uh, I was having, like, surreal experiences, you know, like, I was like, am I really here? What is life, you know? And, you know, like, a friend of mine passed away around that time. And that's after he passed away. That's when I started taking the panic attacks. So I don't know if he triggered something off in me, you know, um, because my father passed away when I was four as well. So I don't know if it was just something kind of triggering, you know, but after his funeral, that's when I started having the panic attacks and I was having some sort of kind of rock bottom breakdown kind of mentally, like, you know. So you went into Rutland Centre, you did six weeks. I done six weeks in the Rutland Centre and um, and that was the first time I actually started something and completed it, right. you know. So that was like a small change, you know. And, um, and I remember when I got into the Rutland Centre, like I hadn't a clue what was going on with me. I hadn't a clue who I was, you know. And they used to get me to write in, you know, like every night to be a sheet. And you'd write down, like, what different emotions was going on. I hadn't a clue what emotions was going on with me, you know. I The only emotion I knew about was anxiety. I just used to write 10 for that and 0, 0 for everything else, <laughs> you know. And I hadn't a clue. And when I think back to that person, you know, that was... I didn't know what was ahead of me, you know. Mm. And, like, if you'd have told me back then... That I'd be sitting here now, you know, as Monique. Mm. There's no way I would have believed you, you know. Uh, and it was just like, I suppose, since the Rutland Centre, um, I, it just took me time to tar out, you know. And it was like kind of peeling myself back. And and thank God I survived all that, you know, like, because it was I was seven years sober out of my 20s. But I went back drinking them for 10 years. Um, and I would have been, you know, back partying again and stuff like that. And thank God I survived all that, that I was able to get to a point where I was kind of comfortable within myself to be open, to be, you know, my authentic self, you know, and to to get to that point where I knew myself well enough to kind of know there was something else going on here, that I wasn't a gay man, that I'm actually transgender, you know. When did that start for you? So that would have started happening for me when I was was like six years ago, you know. I, I am, and what happened was, I was back drinking and I was partying very heavy, and um, I was like soul searching, like because I was after being going to all these like prides and you know Grand Canaria prides in London, Manchester pride. You know, and I was meeting all these gay men, you know, and having great friendships with them. But when it came to, you know, getting romantically involved with somebody, I would always pull away and push them away from me. So I was like, what is going on with you? There's something going on here, you know, because, you know, I was 24 and I pushed everybody away from me. You know, I just didn't like intimacy or anything like that. And um, so I knew there was something going on. And I went to the cinema to see this movie called The Danish Girl. Right. And uh, it was about this trans woman in the 1920s. Um, before she had the force, you know, surgery 
um, you know, um, construction surgery, you know. Um, so I went to see this film and I seen before she transitioned, she was living as a straight man and she was in a relationship with uh, a, a woman and the two of them were artists. And um, she was dressing up in women's clothes for her girlfriend to show, you know, like for art, like, you know, mm. the, the girlfriend was painting her. And um, and she was, you know, living as a man at this time. And then I just seen the way I opened Pandora's box. It was a huge, a huge realisation for her, you know. And I was like, is this what's going on with you? Because I remembered, you know, as a child that I forgot about for years, um, how I felt feminine as a child. And I used to be raging that I was born a boy. And, you know, that I was into all these feminine clothes and stuff like that. And and I and I knew, you know, from, you know, being in the Rutland Centre and doing a little bit of work on myself, how disconnected I was after coming with myself. And I knew how shameful as well back then that I felt about, you know, femininity and being gay and stuff like that. Like, you know, so I, I had a friend in London. And uh, I asked her, could I come over and dress up? And um, I dressed, start dressing up. And as soon as I done it, like, it was just, I was obsessed with it, you know, again. Because um, I would have done that as a child. And it was just kind of like, so I just kind of went, you know, 100 miles an hour back into it again. And um, it took me time, like, it took me a process. Like, I was like oh no, I just like dressing up because of the attention I get, you know, and um, it took a good, like, I'd say, I start, you know, medically transitioning. Before you go on about that, can I ask you, when you first dressed up, was that your first time doing that in London? That was my first time doing that in London, I couldn't believe it, I couldn't believe I actually done that, because uh, I have a lot of gay friends, you know, mm. and... Um, they would put, like, you know, women's clothes on. You know, say we were in a house or something, they would put, like, four jackets on them. I would not go near them. I was the most anal about femininity. And, mm. you know, because I was trying... Like, even when I came out as gay, I had to be this type of gay. I had to be this masculine gay, you know, that you didn't mess with and that was well able for themselves and, you know, kind of streetwise and mm. with all this front, with all this image, you know. And I portrayed out very well for years. You know, and people believed that, you know, and um, it was a shock for them when, you know, I came out as trans, like, mm. you know. So where did you go that night in London? So I went to a club in London, um, it was called The Way Out Club, and uh, I had a great time. Like, what did you wear? I wore, like, I had got this, like, um, black dress off Vera Moda, and um, I remember, like... <laughs> I, you know, my head was shaved at the time, like, and uh, I wanted a wig. And, you know, my friend, she was saying to me, just get a synthetic wig. I was like, no, I don't want a synthetic wig. <laughs> I want a human wig, yeah. you know. And she was like, synthetic wigs look good, you know, from starting off. Yeah. Wouldn't listen. Got the um, got the, the human wig and um, I was cutting the wig and everything. And the wig was like a short bob, like, yeah. you know, but... Um, I had a picture of, you know, of the first time I did, but I deleted the picture, which I'm raging about mm. now, you know, but mm. uh, I still actually have the dress, so yeah. I have the dress at home. Mm. 
And then from then on, you just went. From then, like, so it was all kind of like, but when I done it, it was kind of like, you know, I felt liberated, even though I still didn't know I was transgender. I felt liberated that, you know, I was expressing femininity again, you know, and um, I kind of got this confidence, you know, and uh, I kind of got this, you you know, like, I don't care what people think. And I posted that photo on, you know, my social media. Yeah, on my Facebook at the time. And people were shocked. And um, but I there was even though I deleted that photo, there was definitely um, there was definitely a change in me. Yeah, you know, I was becoming more kind of um, you know courageous when it came to you know expressing myself. You know, like me ex- expressing me feminine side. You know, and that felt good. Mm-hmm. You know. So you came back home here, and then what was your first night like out in Dublin? My first night out in Dublin, uh, I went out on a Sunday night, um, you know, I wasn't dressed up mm-hmm. and um, I was back to my old self and uh, I think I stayed out for three days mm-hmm. you know, on the session, mm-hmm. you know, um, so it was just, I always like kind of stayed out on a session, you know. Uh, did you lose friends throughout it or did you see where your, who your friends were with it? I didn't lose friends throughout, you know, a lot, like, I would have a lot of friends that I'm still friends, like, that I would have from a young age, um, I wouldn't say I lost them, but they didn't get it at the start, you know, you know, but they, we have good relationships, you know, we've been through a lot, you know, over the years, and we have kind of, you know, respect for one another, like, so they... You know, it took them a while to kind of get their head around it. They still could be getting their head around it. But we never fell out. You know, we never, like, we always still keep in contact with each other. And, you know, like, I walk in, you know, Cork Street. Mm-hmm. And um, they'd be in and out of the shop. And I'd see them. We'd have nights out. And if they need their hair done, we'd still ring each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd still be just still a close kind of bond between us all. Mm-hmm. But we wouldn't see each other as much we wouldn't be hanging around as much yeah. as what we used to that's life isn't it mm. so you went then so you started to dress in women's clothes and then mm. where's the next steps for you the next steps for me was this went on you know for a few years so this was then i was trying to make a kill Okay. You know, so I thought, like, you know, that I could, you know, bring this revolution to Dublin, like, you know, um, and have everybody in a little bit too. Have everybody dressing up, right? You know, um, so I started a club night. Okay. And um, so I was running this kind of club night, and uh, where was it? What was it? Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. The fourth night was in twenty two. Right. And um, then it wasn't really that successful. <laughs> I, like I had like a DJ coming up from London, you know, like she'd be well known DJ Jodie mm. Harsh, you know, she's a drag queen um, really good music. Uh, and I had like other drag queens, you know, coming from Manchester, okay. you know, like really kind of well put together drag queens, mm. you know, and uh um, like kind of visionary mm. kind of stuff like and um it was I was trying to bring that vibe that what, what was in the UK mm. over to Dublin you know and 
Um, and I had a like uh, I would say I had probably about six nights. Right. Could have been even more than that. I put a lot of money into it, but it, did, it didn't take off. And I was pretty chaotic myself because I was drinking and I was taking a lot of cocaine as well at the time. Right. You know, so I hadn't got the head, you know, mm. but this was all about me trying to, you know, make, you know, like club kids dressing up, you know, expressing femininity, all kind of, or even like women expressing masculinity, all cool. Yeah. kind of thing like you know like it happened in london it happened in new york but yeah. i don't think it's Dublin. like it does like, happen on a scale you know yeah. but i don't think it would happen on that scale kind of of what's happened in like the likes of london and new york and stuff no i think uh, unfortunately we're it's the catholic church though as well yeah, yeah so it's a lot <laughs> got to do with it as well yeah. you know mm. um so then yeah so you at any point then, do you get into a relationship? Do you feel you can get into a relationship? Um. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I see, like, at this point, uh, I was kind of finding me, you know, finding myself, you know, and I was struggling with, I was struggling with, you know, like, what was going on, like, you know, so it was kind of always this, oh no, I just like to dress up, I like to cross-dress and, you know, and stuff like that. And um, so it was, I was, there was a, like kind of a process going on with me, you know, and um, I still hadn't got the, you know, the full picture mm. of what was going on. Mm. And well, how many years was I into that? I think I was, 
about four years before I actually came out and said I was transgender. So there was nobody serious. Okay. You know, there was like little flickers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I wasn't seeing, I'm very like, I, I'm a very independent person, you mm. know. So, um, and I just don't really have, there was nobody there, there was nobody that I thought that, you know, you'd get into a relationship mm. with kind of mm. thing. You know, and to be honest, like, when you are dressing up and, you know, as transgender women, men see you as a fetish. Mm. You know, like, a, and, 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 you know, like, a lot of straight men are attracted to transgender women. Mm. But they don't know what it means to be attracted to transgender women and they think they're gay. And they're not actually gay because gay men wouldn't be attracted to trans women because trans women, first of all, are women, Mm. but they're expressing femininity. Mm. So um, men, you know, straight men, um, do want, you know, they slide into your DMs and they want it all done behind closed doors and, you know, keep it kind of a secret you know, kind of thing, like, you know, and they wouldn't let their friends know, like, and stuff like that. So there's, an, unfortunately, an awful lot that, of that uh, trans women would experience that, you know, including myself. Oh, really? Mm. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, that's all I really have to say. <laughs> on it, you know? um, I have heard before there's a lot of married men. I mean, won't they're not just married. Okay, you, you know, like they're not just married men. Mm. Um, they're they're all types of men, mm. you know, and they're you know, they they're just not educated enough around, you know, um, trans, you know, trans people, and they think they're gay, you know, but mm. they're not gay because mm. a gay man wouldn't be with, mm. you know, a, a gay man like masculinity. Yeah. But trans women are expressing femininity. Mm-hmm. And that's what the straight man is attracted to. Mm-hmm. They're, they're attracted to the femininity that the trans woman is expressing. Okay. You know? And then when you realise that you're a trans woman, like, where's the first protocol to health-wise, doctor-wise? Like, what? So what happened was, um, so I was... My drinking and drugging was getting more out of control, you know, and um, because I've, I've obviously stuff was starting to come up for me, but I was, you know, my natural reaction was to suppress it and, you know, and uh, try and push it away and, you know, put my head under the carpet kind of thing. So I remember I was out like on another session, mm. you know, still up like. And I was in this club and my friend was with me and I just burst into tears, wasn't expecting it. And I just says, I think I'm transgender. And um, he, you know, was kind of like, oh, it'd be all right. Like, you know, and we kind of, um, you know, like, so it was kind of like a shock to him as well. Mm. And I wasn't even gearing up to say that. That just came out of me, like, you know, and... um. I, we went home, like, to his house and, uh, you know, we kind of, like, set up and stuff like that. So I was kind of, like, when that realisation was coming in, like, you know, I was like, I want to be true to myself here, you know. And I had some awareness, like, I was like, you are after, you know, suppressing yourself, you know, diluting yourself down to be more socially accepted, you know. So I was like... I need to kind of do things. I need to be 
true to myself here, you know, and um, I, st- I w- looked into going to s- see a therapist and I went to see a therapist that, you know, specialised in uh, gender identity called Insight Matters okay. uh, on Cable Street or is. And um, so I was speaking to the therapist once a week and, you know, we were going back in through my childhood and stuff like that. And there was never a time when I was speaking to the counsellor um, that I didn't think I was transgender. I was just making sure I wasn't crazy. Right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I yeah. was just making sure I wasn't mm. in some sort of psychosis, mm. you know, from the party. And, and um, I decided when I was speaking to that counsellor, you know, I spoke to that counsellor for a couple of months that I wasn't going to drink anymore. Okay. And um, I stopped drinking um, and uh, I, then I started to go to a group called Tenny. And they're a support group in Dublin and Ireland for trans people. So I was linking in with them and I was getting as much information as I could. I was going to the group to look to see could I identify, you know, what other trans women and um and I was, yeah. you know, and uh, it just felt right, you know, and a lot of people, you know, were saying, you know, because you were after buying into this image, this mm. masculine, you know, kind of tough image that I was after portraying for years. And especially, I think, you know, my femininity kind of really left me after 25, you know, I became more masculine, you know, and um and I, you know, now I'm trying to get the femininity back, like, you yeah. know, like I want the back. And uh, I can't envision you 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was. Uh, so I, I, when I, you know, like I was going to start the medical transition, I was I wanted to do everything right, mm. you know, because I was after I was after um you know, not taking anything very serious throughout my life, mm. you know. And so I wanted to do this, right? I knew this was a serious thing, you know, like what I was, you know, what was going on with me. So I knew I couldn't be reckless. And I was after finding myself, you know. And I felt liberated. I felt more confident. I felt like I had something to live for, you know. And I wanted to be healthy, you know. I wanted to be physically and mentally healthy. So um, I was just doing all the right things, you know, and um, I didn't, if somebody, you know, was going to challenge me on it, I was going, I wanted to be well able to speak back, you know, to them and, you know, like, so I, I educated myself, you know, around it and stuff like that. And educated in what way? So educate me. So I was, you know, I was, I had to contact my doctor. Well, as I was speaking to the counsellor, um, I contacted uh, my doctor and she had to, you know, I had to go in and tell her how I was feeling and that I wanted to start the medical transition. And that, you know, I was suffering with gender dysphoria and, you know, that I told her, like, you know, that I was very disconnected all my life, you know, and that, um, you know, like, and I rejected myself, you know, because that's what i done. You know, because I was ashamed of the femininity, I rejected it, you know, and um, and that I was, you know, that I had to come into a stage in my life where I wanted to be true to myself, you know, and uh, so I told the doctor this and she was like, are you sure, 
you know and I was like yeah no I'm definitely sure so she sent off a letter to the national gender service and that's what you have to do in Ireland you know you have to go through the national gender service and what happens there is you get interviewed there's two interviews um and they're three hours long each interview wow so it's six hours so the fourth interview is um with two psychologists so they go back through your life there's no questions off the table they ask you everything everything you know um and you, you get a little break you do an hour and a half you get a half an hour break and then you're back in with them again and then the second interview you go to see um a social worker yeah. and they make a diagnosis but there's a three-year waiting list there's a three-year waiting list i went for i the doctor sent out my letter in 2019 i think it was june 2019 and i got to see them um I got to see them two months ago. That was the that's that was my appointment, you know, from that that long that period of time. So and the 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 period of time is getting longer. It's longer waiting list because there's so many people coming forward that are saying that they're trans because we're being educated about it now, mm. you know, through the internet. You know, there's um, programs on the television, you know, that is educating us so we're starting to see ourselves mm-hmm. you know through the media finally because the media be- portrayed us in such a bad life for so long so now we're actually starting to see ourselves and we're starting to relate you know and then we're like we're seeing ourselves in the world we're learning about the history of trans women you know before us and you know you know we're like we're identifying and that is me kind of thing you know so there's more kind of like trans people non-binary people coming forward now you know and um there's a lot of you know education around it now you know thank god you know and then that appointment then you had but during that are you transitioning before that are you transitioning or no i'm not transitioning Mm. so i i the appointment two months ago yeah mm. i'm trying i'm in the middle of a medical transition but when i went to the doctor force i hadn't so i was learning about the information then and then i had to get my hormones privately so um now there's there's like two ways you can do that you can go through the ireland route which is you have to go and see a psychologist there's a waiting list for that as well um, now you're paying privately for this uh, and then you have to get two um, diagnoses. So you, you go and see, and it's this special psychologist, I couldn't even tell you the name, I can't even think of the name now. Even the word diagnosis I know. is fucking shocking. I know. That's disgraceful. I know. Mm. Yeah. So I there's this other place, um, they're outside Ireland, they used to be in the UK and they're called Gender GP. Okay. So they're a little bit more pretty straightforward, but you do it all online and you have to get a phone, you know, like you mm. do it over the phone and stuff like that. So I went with Gender GP and I started hormones in September 2019, the 12th of September 2019. And uh, that's when I started my medical transition. I had um, some, you know, a little bit of face surgery in um, twenty January 2020. 
um, just to feminize my face, you mm. know. And my face isn't pr- like much different, but just kind of take the rough edges off, you know, like the brow bone and stuff like that. Because most men would be very prominent around our brow bone. So, you know, like just to feminize that, like, and kind of shape it down, like, and stuff like that. So after I had the feminine face surgery, then I start presenting myself as Monique, as, you know, female and stuff like that. I got my hair done, um, got extensions and an easy lock. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that was it, you know, and I just loved my life then, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'm the most content, you know, I've ever been, you know, like I'm not walking around on, you know, a pink fluffy cloud. I have my good days and my bad days, mm. but I'm happier. You know, mm. I'm happier inside myself, you know, and, um, and you know, and the way I kind of look at it, you know, is, you know, I'm proud to be a transgender woman, you know, I'm proud to be a transgender person. I represent diversity, you know, and there's diversity in the world, you know, and I need to be seen, you know, I need to be seen to be representing diversity. I need to be out in the world going to work, you know, doing what we do on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. you know, for people to see, you know, this is normal. I'm just like a normal person, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody else, you know. Can I ask you why Monique? My name yeah. Monique. Uh, a lot of people ask me that, you mm-hmm. know. Um, do you mind people asking you? No, I don't mind because there's actually a bit of a story to it. Mm-hmm. So there was this, there's this pro documentary on... Um, on netflix called the queen and there's this lady in it it's about drag it was made back in the 70s i think or could have even been the 60s and um there was this you know uh, it was about a drag queen pageant and there was this transgender girl in it um crystal abasia her name was and she was a woman of color and she came from you know, a disadvantaged area. And, you know, you just knew by, you know, the, you knew by her, like, you know. Mm. And it was, this was, you know, the documentary is based, you know, in New York. And um, so she lost the pageant. She okay. was really beautiful, though, yeah. but she lost the pageant. But she fought her corner, you know, and you can see the clip. It's probably the most exciting part of the, you know, the documentary. Yeah. Um, it's pretty bland, so only for right. <laughs> but she, in the in the um, when she's um, when she is, you know, fighting her corner, like mm. you know, and she says some great one-liners that people still repeat, you know, on RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, but you know, she kept on saying Monique, darling, Monique, darling. <laughs> but there was a Monique there, right? So it just I just. Because my name was previous, began with an M, mm. I was like, I'm going to go with Monique because mm. I just liked what she stood for, mm. you know, like, and she was, in a, and she went on to start, you know, the ballroom scene uh, in New York, you know, and there was, she had her own like kind of house, like there was these Vogan houses and it was called House of Labasia and stuff like that. Mm. So, you know, I admired her and because she was saying Monique and that's why I call myself Monique. <laughs> Talk to me about transphobia. So transphobia, you know, um, I suppose like, you know, I would have touched on it earlier. We would have been, you know, represented very badly in the media and television throughout all the years, 
up to only 10 years ago, mm. you know, we're learning about trans and queer people, non-binary people, you know. And um, so it's like we're kind of, we were like, you know, trained to think about trans people in a negative way, you know, through television. Mm-hmm. And now it's, um, we're trying, you know, it's, now it's about like educate, retraining people, you know, to educate people around trans people. People, you know, around people because people have a lot of, you know, ideas, wrong ideas about trans people, you know, that you have no really experience about. You have no, um, you know, education around. So, like, it's about, you know, retraining people now. And I think, like, Ireland, Dublin is a great place to be transgender. Is it? Yeah, it is. We've came a long way. Mm. Now, we've still a lot of work to do, but we have came a long way, um, especially, you know, even to do with homophobia, you know. Um, but there is still a lot of work to do, you know. Have you experienced transphobia? Um, have I experienced transphobia? I have experienced trans- transphobia in an indirect way. Okay. You know, never to my face. You know, but I have experienced it in an indirect way. In what way? Just like, you would just know, like, by, you know, people, like, you know, they kind of, some women, like, you know, I've experienced, they wouldn't want me around kind of thing, like, and, you know, stuff like that, like. Do you experience more from women or men? Um, do I experience more from women or men? It depends, Doesn't you know, like, <laughs> men are very crafty. Right. <laughs> you know? mm. um, I've never had anybody say anything to me directly. Mm. You know, I've got a few weird looks, but um, never directly, you know, uh, has somebody ever said anything to me, you know. And then can I ask you about children growing up today? Um advice for parents you know that their kids are coming out and saying that you know mommy I I don't feel like a boy I I don't feel like a girl you know yeah so like you know I like but for anybody's kid you know to come out and say that you know like I know for the parents you know it can be hard you know but they have to you know support their child you know they have to go down the right you know uh channels to go down you know um like contact Tenny you know, um, like there's an outhouse, you know, National Gender Service, that insight matters. They do counselling for children as well. And they need to support their child, you know. They, they need to let their child know that they're in a safe place to express themselves. You know, if they want their child to be adjusted, you know, to be confident person and to be comfortable in themselves um, and to be to be able to adjust to life, that's what they need to do, you know. Because you find now, um, Amelia's 11, and so does a lot to talk about being non-binary, mm. being asexual, mm. being bisexual. And I've always said to her, like, just let's keep an open mm. mind. And she would say, oh, you know, do you think that's for attention, Mammy? Do you mm. think they're just doing that for attention? And then you'd have some parents who would comment and say, they're only attention-seeking. Mm. Like, so um, I think, do you do you think that, school should be more you know involved in the education piece around sexualities 
Yeah, definitely. Mm. They need to learn about, you know, um, queer people. You know, um, and when I say queer people, like queer, queer is a big term for a big umbrella of people, non-binary, trans, you know, gender fluid. They need to learn about that, you know, and um, and to be educated around it. Um, because it's a part of life and it will stop, you know, it will stop uh, people, you know, getting bullied you know and stuff like that and it will stop the, stop the negativity um that what's around us sometimes you know but I do think kids are amazing mm-hmm. you know I think kids I find kids with myself um you know very kind of they always call me you know Monique um my proper name always ha- you know have my pronouns correct um, so kids um, just take everything at face value, mm. you know, and they don't hate, you know, they don't unless they're taught, it, mm. you know, and um, and I'd say Amelia has heard that somewhere, you mm. know, are you looking for attention mm. and stuff mm. like that, like, you know, because um, we do just pick up little things, you know, and when you're young, you haven't a clue who you are or mm. what you're about and, mm. you know, and kids could be just saying it for a reaction, mm. But you can't dismiss it, mm-hmm. you know. You have to allow your kid to, you know, explore that and see where it goes, you know. Because if you're dismissing it, you know, you're just dismissing your child, like, you know, and you're telling your child there's something wrong with, you know, what he or she or they is saying, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to kind of support and take things slowly and keep an open mind, in my opinion. Very wise words, yeah, mm. yeah. Because like the whole dismissing thing, we yeah. have to be really careful not you to can't dismiss them. Dismiss it. You mm. definitely cannot dismiss it. You know, do, do people would have thought that I was, you know, going through some sort of phase when I was coming out as transgender, that, mm. you know, and when I before, you know, people that would have known me in me, um, kind of say twenties, you know, that where I was portraying this kind of masculinity image. Um, and they would have thought that, like, you know, and that's not the case. I was mm. born transgender, like, mm. you know, this isn't a phase, this isn't a lifestyle choice, mm. this is who I am. Mm. You know, unfortunately, you know, the environment I grew up in, you know, I couldn't feel I could express myself, you mm. know, and that's why it took me so late to actually find myself and have the courage to come out with it, mm. you know. Because today we were in McDonald's and... Um it's really like, and I'll just admit here in McDonald's and we were get, going through the drive through and Amelia's Aria said to me, and you haven't met her yet, and she said, uh, is that a he or a she behind the <laughs> desk? And I just mm. looked and I said, oh, I, it was because I was, I said, I don't know. And she said, uh, and I said, could be a day. And she mm. said to me, huh, what's a day? Like, you know, and I just was real. I was like, well, she, she might not mm. be, I think that she's by our girl and she mm. was like mammy what are you talking about and I was like I will talk about that again then you know mm. what I mean and until she expresses interest in it again we'll talk mm. about it again but she was just like a little thing and then the girl it was a girl and she spoke or could have been a girl could have been you know a day and she spoke I hate saying that could have been could have been a day mm. could have been she and uh, she's oh no she definitely sounds like a girl ma'am <laughs> and I went okay I said I don't know and um, and then when you were coming today I said Monique's coming today mm. and I always say to the girls because I say what's the podcast about and I said to her it's about transgender and, be, mm. and she was like all right and I said to her um how do you feel about that and she was like 
how do I feel about what, ma'am? Mm. She's like, how do I feel about what? Like, you know what I mean? She was like, yeah. And kids are like that. They're yeah. very, you know, kind of, you know, they don't discriminate. Mm. You know, there's um, kind of no bigotry, bigotry yeah. with yeah. them. Like, you know, um, and uh, and it's just, you know, kids are amazing. When mm. I've always found, you know, my cousins, you know, my own little niece, Eva, mm. she's amazing with me. Mm. Like, you know, nothing phases her, you know, mm. and... You know, she's always very respectful to me. Like it's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, like yeah. and and she would have known me previously. You know, and she would yeah. have known seeing me transitioning. Yeah. And um, she just, you know, she is. It just doesn't phase her. It's yeah. nothing to her. Like it was nothing to Amelia today. She mm. was like, yeah, like that. You know what I mean? Um, and um, I'm gonna say to him, Paul, you wouldn't just grab that dishwasher as well. Just pull it out because you could hear it in the background. Fill yourself up some more water if you want to. Um. Because I'm going to let you go soon because I've had you for so long. Um, tell me about future you. So future me is like I'm in the middle of a medical transition, you know. So I'm going to keep on going on with that, you know. Um, and um, I would like to, you know, complete my transition, you know. And um, I would like to get into some sort of field, you know, like social work, you know, to help you know, people in the queer community and and stuff like that, like, and help raise awareness, help, you know, educate people, you know, around um, these issues, like, you know. But for you, what do you want for you? <laughs> what do I want? Um, I just want, you know, I'm pretty content the way things are, you know, at the moment, like, you know, um... I'm, you know, the healthiest I've ever been, you know, I don't drink anymore, you know, um, I'm in recovery, you know, and uh, I would just want to keep on going on with my medical transition, you know, and uh, do you mean like love life? <laughs> yeah. If somebody comes into my life, you know, who I think, you know, there's no BS with, you know, mm. I will be open to it, you know, but they would have to really come in, you know, and I just feel, you know, men, you know, are pretty immature. Mm. Not everybody, you mm. know, but the majority of them, they're pretty immature um, around um, trans people, trans mm. women, you know. And so, like, I remember one of the girls, Melissa, or no, it was Amy. Amy did a podcast with me and Amy lost her arm due to uh, cancer. But she said the amount of men reaching out because they had a fetish. Um, so is it that, like, that? yeah, they had a fetish, it fetish. an amputee fetish, yeah. yeah. So would you always be, would that be in the back of your mind when you're going into a relationship or? But see, like, the majority of men that message me are, you know, they want, you know, they're all done, like, behind closed doors, you know. Um, so, you know, I'm just not up for that mm. anymore. Mm. Yeah, you just, you just don't want to push it anymore. I'm over that stage mm. of my life, mm. you know. It was good when, you know, I was all new to, you know, um, tr- when I was starting my transition and stuff like that. And I was starting to, you know, dress up like it was good and, it, you know, but... I'm over that now, you know, mm. and um, it's not where I want, you know, and, you know, as I said, like, I'm pretty independent, you know, I've, 
you know, I'd be quite kind of like, I can see the bullshit very clearly. Mm. So. But would you like a companion? A companion? Would you like? I would like a companion. Of course I would like mm. a companion. But it'd have to be the right companion. On your terms? Not on my terms, <laughs> but just somebody that is you know, comfortable, you know, with themselves mm. and comfortable with, you know, being in a relationship with a trans woman. So th- th- that's all I want. And obviously, like, us to, you know, be attracted to each other, mm. you know, those things, like, what everybody wants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, but... um. Maybe we'll get there, you know, um, one day, you know, men will kind of change their, grow up. (laughs) (laughs) And then tell me. Don't hold me, Brad. No, I know. (laughs) Tell me this about your recovery. Are you more comfortable in your recovery now that you are your authentic self? Yeah, I'm a lot more, you know, um, I wouldn't be able to transition if I wasn't sober. Really? No. I wouldn't be able to transition. I was too hectic mm. before you know, when I was drinking and, you know, uh, using drugs and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be able to to be as grounded and, um, you know, to be able to physically transition um, if I wasn't going to AA and practicing a 12-step program. Come here, tell me about your 40. That fucking dress <laughs> was out of this world. <laughs> Uh, I had a ball at me for it. It was uh, probably one of the best nights I've had in such a long time. Um, Really good time. And uh, I felt amazing. I loved the dress. I loved the bodice. Uh, And it was brilliant. You looked unbelievable that oh, bodice oh, thank you. i was like i think i messaged you didn't i i was like i was, I was like oh, if i go anywhere now is there any chance i could have a letter that bodice like oh my god you look stunning ah thank you mm, so you had a great night had a great night good had a really good time right so on that note we leave it there and what we'll do is we'll share all the the programs you said and the support networks and so on we'll share i know you're going to be like Rebecca, i'm not sharing nothing but you yeah. <laughs> will share it and get it all out there but thank you so much for sitting down with me i know you were nervous <laughs> but you did yourself very proud ah, thank you thank, and thanks for giving me the opportunity you know to come on here and talk about these issues you know transgender queer issues because they need to be talked about more you know mm. and so thank you for giving me this opportunity to to do this. Pleasure, because you've educated me. As I said, this is all about education and helping people. So thank you. Thanks a million. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.